Chaplain Curtis Drafton. What inspired you to join the military? Well, I got to be honest, I'm not one of those guys who woke up one day and saw a group of soldiers walking down the street and said, I want to be that. I grew up in a very poor part of Ohio, and we had two options. Either you were going to graduate high school and go work at General Motors, or you were going to go to community college and somehow or another find your way out of the city. Um, and I ended up in high school. I actually did see a really tough guy walking down the hall, and he ended up being a, later my recruiting sergeant. So, but I saw this guy walk in, and I'm a little runny guy. I graduated five foot five, 120 pounds. But I looked at that guy and I said, you know what? If nothing else, he looks like he can kick butt and take some, take some names later. So we had a conversation uh, over a basketball game and I ended up signing up right there on the spot. Can you tell me about your uh, journey? Yeah. So start off at Fort Dix, New Jersey. Not exactly the best experience at basic. Um, again, five foot five, 120 pounds. It's freezing cold. Uh, we're doing PT at 0530. And I'm looking at these guys like, I don't know what's wrong with you. But, you know, unlike today's military, you could not tap out. So I hung in there. Um, and at the end of a growth spurt, I'm now six foot one, 200 pounds uh, within basic, basic and then AIT. Huge growth spurt. Oh, so wow. the confidence was there. Um, after that, because of my orders, I transferred to Texas, uh, where I served at Fort Hood. And from there, with the first cab, I completed my career within five years. Uh, injured reserve is how I came out. So what inspired you to create uh, the organization? So in 2012, my fiance was diagnosed with acute lymphatic cancer. Um, and while on orders, I got kind of distressed um, and I was actually put on leave. And when I went home, I became a homeless veteran the moment she passed away. Uh, I lost the apartment. I lost the cars. I lost everything. Um, and I was just walking the streets. And, and I remember sleeping one night. Outside the VA, because I went to the VA and they told me there wasn't a stipend for then an active duty soldier to walk in and take care of home, you know, being that my fiance passed away. So I promised myself, I said, if I ever get out of this rut, I'm going to make, make sure not another active duty or veteran goes through what I went through. I was homeless for eight months. Um, I was on extended leave because we're talking about the death of my spouse. Um, and then when I went back in, I got injured and TDRL was my final year. Uh, within the military. And so after that, what I did is I initially started a rescue operation, which I still have to this day, 12 years now, but a rescue operation for natural disasters. We're a group of veterans. We volunteer. We don't get paid, but we go out. But then around 2017, I had this conniption that the VA can't possibly do enough. And I know they do the best they can, but then let's be honest, grassroots organizations have to fill the gaps where veterans are falling through. And so I came up with the Hall of Fame. And as you see, the more common slogan that we know, of course, from our good friends over at the Marine Corps is duty on our country. Well, on the back end of that, there should be some appreciation by the public. And there, there are public factors out there that want to help. And I was like, we're going to go find them and help honor each and every veteran who served. Now, granted, you hear Hall of Fame, you think, you know, shiny lights, let's put some people on a big stage tuxedo night. And it is that kind of night. But what about the other 18 million vets who served that are living and so, you know, if you served honorably, 99.9% .9 of us have served honorably. And I believe that meeting them at their point of need is a way to honor them. So if that's getting some lights cut back on at the house, putting food on the table, helping them get a job, helping them get therapy. You know, we found out that 30% of vets we, we've helped thus far in five years have TBIs. 
you know, so that's a way to honor them to where the VA just doesn't have the stipends to get them in front of a therapist regularly and or the medical treatments they may need. How has helping uh, veterans uh, and fellow military helped your mental health? Oh, man. See, you, you, you threw a hardball at me real fast. Um, <laughs> it's it's something because, you know, I was initially supposed to go to therapy. I go like once a year around that time. And I said, this isn't for me, you know, to go in there and sit across the desk from somebody and they may care, but it's really kind of their cookie cutter approach to it. I'm finding more and more that nothing beats the opportunity of a vet sitting in front of a vet going through our stories and finding a relatable ground. And so for me, it's become my therapy to just look for a vet, any vet. And I'm just like, man, tell me your story. And it helps me adapt to where I used to be, even though now I've been out for almost seven years, you know, but it's really like, how does that veteran across from me expose themselves the same way that I feel to somebody across from a desk? But once they hear the familiarity of my story, whether it's a station base and FOB or whether it's just the fact that I had a struggle, you know, in between that time where I became homeless and I've learned that I'm allowed to talk to another guy and trust this guy. You know, whether or not he's my direct battle doesn't matter. If he wore a Navy uniform, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, I don't care. It, there's a brotherhood, right? And of course, we give Air Force a few ribs every now and then. <laughs> but it's it's all out of love and all out of joy. But I'm serious. I was in a severe state of PTSD when I came home. Um, like I said, my last year was TDRL. And when I came home, I thought twice about taking myself out. You know, it, it just wasn't the life for me anymore. I'm not allowed to go back in battle because of my injuries. I'm not allowed to fully function in corporate America. It's like, where do I fit in? Yeah. Well, I fit in here at the Hall of Fame, and I thank God that I was able to start it, but I fit in here because here is where you are. Here is where my battles are. And all my brothers and sisters in arms, we're here, you know, and I can't do that in corporate America. I actually tried. Uh, when I first got my first job here, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was the marketing director for Jersey Mike's. Well, I went to them and said, what more can we do for vets? And they said, nothing. I'm like, that's not true. I know where homeless vets are now. We can feed them once a week or something. I don't know. But, and they didn't want to do that. So I walked away frustrated. So, But with starting this, now I'm allowed to have complete autonomy over approaching, addressing, and being there for other veterans. Yeah. How does the process work of uh, selecting uh, Hall of Famers? So it's a pretty tedious task. It, and it's, it's funny. Initially, we were like, you know, we had an application process online. You can imagine the countless scores of applications we got, you know, from going as far back to World War II, because we do need we need a DD-214 to verify. And that's when DD-2 started is in 1950. And so in 1950 forward, imagine how many vets have served. So yeah. we the first year, I think we had somewhere around 900 potential applicants. And we had to be honest, we had to whittle through that and get down to the bare bones of maybe 10, which we did. But I said, next year, we can't afford to do this again. So we now have a research and selection committee, um, which is now at this point functioned by our alumni association. Uh, but it's really based on three credits of merit. So it's valor, it's service. You know, what, are you, what did you do in the military? Did you get injured? And then there's also another category of what are you doing for your community? So if you served four years, and I'm, I'm not quite sure your history, but if you served four years, and let's say you came out still a private or maybe even a sergeant, E5, and you come home, 
you may now start something that services the community that the community worldwide or nationwide, however you want to take your, your venture is beneficial to humanity. And that's very noteworthy because we would like to think that what the military instilled on you is what gave you the umption and the bare bones and the, and the wherewithal to stand on this mission that you've created. So, you know, we award all three platforms. Um, it takes about a six month process to go through all the vetting. We got to go through DOD, you know, uh, depending on which branch you serve, we have to call different bases to verify your records, make sure you were honorable. Uh, so, for instance, Army, you know, we got to call Fort Knox. Hey, did this guy, Mike, did he ever check out? You know, was he ever AWOL? Like, we want to know everything. So if you were to look at our website, you'll see that each one, of, each and every one of those individuals, they check every block. That's important. And I, I did not serve, but I have family who did. And, you know, I do this a lot for you know, my father-in-law and my, my wife is a, a army brat. So uh, I try to do that to uh, honor her as well. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. And that's something too, like um, I'm now part of Vet Jobs, um, which is also now in collaboration with Hiring Our Heroes. And on the flip side of that, there's our military spouse jobs. People, A lot of people don't give credit to the spouse or the family back home while we're away. You know, so what we do is we make sure that the spouse is well taken care of, whether that's a job, finding child care, you know, the son, the son at home who's holding down the family while dad while dad's away. Like all of these people matter. We we there is no separation between service and taking care of the home. I'm serving so that we can all take care of our homes. You're taking care of the home so that I don't have to worry while I go protect our borders and fronts. You know, so it's it's all collaborative. And yeah, we're hitting from all angles to make sure that all of the families are taken care of. So when I talk to veterans, a lot of them talk about uh, the challenges of uh, transitioning back to civilian life. How important is it to be there for the veterans as they go through that transition? That's a good question. We're working on something right now down at Camp Lejeune and uh, with the Marine Corps. And we're talking to them about potentially finding a way, we don't have a solution yet, but finding a way to connect with these guys and girls that are active, that are about to ETS. So if you're about to ETS, it's a shame right now, and it's actually a tragedy that during that process, you don't really have connections to job sources. You know, I know we've got SkillBridge. SkillBridge does the best they can. However, 90% of vets who are coming off that base don't have a solid plan, you know, we find that most of them don't have a solid job lined up. Their housing is kind of a 50-50 deal, you know, and when they go home after the balloons have flown away and they're walking off the tarmac and people are clapping, the USO is there and the cameras are up, they go home the very next day. That spouse is like, oh, it's so good to have you here. Okay, now we got these things called bills. What are you going to do? You know, so what we need is we need to create a program that gives us more access and I'm not saying the entirety of their day during the last 30 days or what have you, but if it's a Saturday or a Sunday and we can have just one hour a week with these individuals and we have, you know, designated slots, this guy's going to teach you how to budget. This organization is going to teach you how to go and get a job. This one's for skills training. If we can get that kind of thing, it's important because of that 90% I just described that don't have a really solid plan, some 50% of them will completely fall through the cracks and accept jobs that they they deserve better, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about guys and girls who served on our front lines working at McDonald's, you know, and, and that's a very bad 
it's a bad precedence to set, especially for these kids that we want to serve now, that you're going to go serve your country, which is the top job in the world. But when you get home, you're going to be serving up these hamburgers. And that's not a very fair thing to do. You know, I, I, yeah. I, it, it hurts my heart to see athletes making millions of dollars and our men and women in uniform, you know, tens of thousands. You know, unless, of course, you serve 20 or 25 years and you go above a command sergeant major's pay, you don't come home to a very solid structure financially and you got to keep grinding away. Well, look at the small numbers we have since we became a voluntary military force. Very small. We can afford to pay more, you know, and we can also afford to make sure that the programs to your question are there so that when they come home, they don't have to struggle. Job well done. You know, if we're saying service well done. Let's show it as a nation through what we give them on the back end. So while I was researching you and you talked earlier about uh, disaster response and uh, helping people there, going there, uh, a lot of people are having, you know, the worst days of their lives. How is there to, you know, be there, help and also show empathy? The one thing we realize, no matter who you are in this world, when you see some veterans coming around the corner, you're, you're more free, you know, I, and, and I mean that in, in the literal sense. So there are a lot of organizations that do disaster response. Um, and I applaud all of them. I mean, we're on the same mission together, but it's something else that we get to come around the corner wearing those veteran caps uh, or they see the U.S. Veterans Hall of Fame logo. And you just see them say, oh, God, I know these guys are going to protect me. They're going to get me out of here. They're going to get me to an LZ where somebody's going to take really good care of me. The added measure to that is we do bring empathy. Like four of my guys lost their homes between Louisiana and Mississippi through various storms over the years. So now we've got the empathetic piece. I myself, I'm a nationally ordained chaplain for emergency response. So I get to look at the broken individual inside. So it's one thing to pull you out the water. And I'll get to why, why that is for me. But it's one thing to pull you out. It's another thing to be able to look inside of you and say you need more than just a blanket and a sandwich. Right. So in 2005, I was in Texas. I was off leave, um, headed back to base. And all of a sudden there's like this rumbling through the news media. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? The world's going crazy. And it's Hurricane Katrina. I'm like, wow, too bad. I can't do anything because I'm on base. I got to report back. So I get to base. And next thing you know, the guard is being called up. There, there was a guard post probably 20 miles uh, over in Colleen, Texas. Well, they got card up, called up to go serve. And I'm like, Whatever's going on is scaring the crap out of me because, you know, back then we didn't have TVs like they do on base and you're just sitting there watching CNN or NBC right. or, five, yeah. you know, so we just had to wait and see what was going to happen. Well, seven months later, when I got another leave, I go home, they brought all these evacuees up to Dallas and Fort Worth. And I'm like, wow. And when you're looking in these people's eyes, Michael, these people are dead. Their souls are dead. They're just empty shells. And the reason is, is because people did pull them out. They threw a blanket on him, gave him a sandwich, and said, okay, go find FEMA. Make a way out. That's not a good resolve. We're better than that. We've got the resources as a nation, and I'm not just talking money. We've got therapists we should have had on site. And I actually had a chance uh, to sit down with General Russell Andre, who led the charge for Hurricane uh, Katrina. And General Andre said the same thing. He said, chap, let me tell you something. The one thing that I wish I had known then was that I can't just pull bodies out of water and put them in a, in a four-wall cell. Yeah. I've got to have therapy. I've got to have FEMA really do what FEMA says they do. 
And, and from that push forward, what we did as an organization is we brought those pieces in. So everywhere we go, like, again, I've got my empathy, sympathy guys. I've got my personal training. I've got logistics guys. I even have an old CB. And this CB, he navigates me through those streets on our troll boat like you would never believe, man. Four feet of water and he's trolling. He's a bad dude. You know, so when we go down there, we go full up. Um, and everything really outside of a true evacuation shelter, we bring everything to the table voluntarily. Again, we don't get paid. I wish we could find some sponsors, but we don't. But I want these guys and girls to know they're appreciated. So every year I treat them to a good dinner. And, you know, we celebrate just a good hoo because we didn't have to do what we did, but we're blessed to do so. With that, what motivates you? Oh, man, humanity, opportunity, equality. You know, if if I go down to, let's say, Louisiana has a hurricane and God forbid it goes there again. We've been there too much. But, you know, when you go down there to like the lower ninth ward or Lake Pontchartrain and you do your evacs, there's so much appreciation. And then there's the other side of the lake. When you go to the north side, it hurts me to see people so privileged. Like, why didn't you guys come get us first? And I'm like, it's called equality, man. They needed us more than you did. Yeah. But now we're here and you're alive. Your power went out. Their house is under nine feet of water. You know, so when you're headed down that way, the first thing we tell people is we're going to do what we got to do based upon the heart. And so what motivates us is the drive to bring everybody on evil plane, even plane. You know what I mean? It's just like in the military. If I'm going down range, and they've got some city captured, right? Let's say, and, and I do have to use this as an example, Kandahar, in the Kandahar region. So if I'm going down in Kandahar, you'd be surprised. There are some very wealthy areas and they're very well fortified. But when we go into these small villages as almost an MP or a patrol unit, those rich guys are, hey, why didn't you come over here? We'll pay you. You can't pay me to negate those guys who are under heavy fire and siege when I got to, you know, there's a way to do this. So our strategic planning is is based upon the heart. That's why we do what we do every day. I was looking at uh, the list of 2023 inductees and uh, General Powell's on the list. And, you know, he has a lot of firsts under his belt. How important is it to recognize people who broke a lot of barriers? Well, that's what our nation is built on, right? We were the first nation for religious freedoms. We were the first nation to allow all to come as your culture, be yourself, have your set of rules, but still under the guidelines and auspices of the American Constitution. And so when you're looking at a general power, again, broke so many barriers that now provided opportunities for other individuals that as they come in, they now have a blueprint that they can follow and have a successful military career. You know, if you jump back to a couple of years ago, Rocky Blyer. One of the very first guys, and, and more recently, people know Pat Tillman. But look at Rocky Blyer, a guy in the 60s and 70s who made very little in the NFL, say, you know what? I'm going to go serve my country for even less money. You know, right. Pat Tillman, I, at the time, I think Pat Tillman was offered a $5 million contract. Yeah. But he chose to go He chose to go into the Rangers. He wanted to be a Ranger all his life. And he said, you know what? Football's great. Cardinals, I'm sorry. I got to go serve my nation. You know, and of course, that was also in or rather due to 9-11. But nonetheless, when you're looking at these individuals who forsook so much, sacrificed so much to go through doors that had never been opened. I mean, come on. We, we have to be honest here. We live in a generation now. If you offer a kid a million dollars to shoot a basketball or run up and down a field, they'll take it. 
You offer a kid $30,000 and say, hey, you put this uniform on, your whole nation is going to be proud. They're going to look at you funny. You know, so again, General Powell, he had a lot of opportunity. Big man, honking man, was an athlete, but he stuck to it. He stuck to his commitment. And not only that, he re-upped or rather re-enlisted four times during his career. He didn't have to do that. You know, so, you know, every guy and girl that we that we chose broke barriers. You know, last year, uh, Chief Warrant Officer 5, Phyllis Wilson, you know, imagine the rigor she had to go through to make Warrant Officer two, three, four, five, you know, and, and that's really the case. You know, Major General Marsha Anderson and, you know, Major General and Angela Salinas, like, and I'm going through all these these archives in my head of past inductees. Look at what these women had to go through to make it to major general. You know, it's it's so many things that compile why our military is the strongest. And it's because people had the gumption to stay in there and break down these barriers. So if that's not noteworthy, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? So yeah, we, we have a pretty solid uh, class of inductees. I think we're at 22 right now, and then this year we'll, we'll have uh, eight more. So we're doing really solid work here, and, and I'm really proud that we're hoisting this flag every day. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, the uh, induction night? Yeah. So, and this goes back to our mission as well. It's an all-inclusive, I want to say red carpet event, where we get these men and women who served honorably, and we treat them like we wish the streets of New York and the Bay Harbor areas and over on the eastern coast in Florida, I wish when we came home from overseas, they rolled out the red carpet. A nice dining uh, experience. Uh, we've got music. We, we usually have an Army band. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that happen where we get a Marine Corps band at some point. But we have a nice band. It's a, it's a nice four or five-star event. Great meals, silent auctions, all raising money for the ongoing missions. You know, and, and that's really what it is, is we're honoring these men and women spotlighting to the public. It is a public event where they can see the men and women who've done extraordinary things, meet them. They want to take pictures with them. That's great. But the main thing is, and our inductees understand this, that word up there again, appreciation. We've got to appreciate all our vets. So we've got to end veteran homelessness, you know, and we highlight these different captions and bullet points in the, at the end of the day. We got to end veteran homelessness. We got to end veteran unemployment. You know, we have to address mental health at a higher standard. All of these things matter. But for the sake of corporations out there, back to my earlier point, that care, they love big, fancy stuff. And a lot of those corporations, uh, they want to write big checks, but they need a night like that to coerce them. Because they nine times out of 10, let's be honest, they're not going to come out there in, in white press shirts and ties and do the groundwork that we do every day. But if you've got that five-star night and a proven portfolio, because we do go through highlights there uh, at the ceremony, that's when they say, okay, I can trust you, you guys, but thanks for this glass of Chardonnay as well. And we're <laughs> fine with that. We get it, man. We get it. We know you want caviar and we'll give it to you. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. That That's, you know, that's yeah. one way to get those checks. Yeah. Yeah. And it works, it works at a pretty efficient rate. You know, we're not, we're not a multi-million dollar company, nor do I actually really want to be. I just want to get the work done. Um, I tell people all the time, the one thing I don't want, I don't want job security infinite amount of years for veteran homelessness. Let's end it. Let's be done yeah. with it. Let's let's build some veterans housing 
And as they transition and also those on the streets, let's bring them home. You know, that's a constant message of mine, especially on like platforms like LinkedIn that where you and I met. Yeah. You know, let's just do the work. I want to be done with homelessness in three years. And that's a very possible thing. You know, all we got to do is have the the buildings, you know, get a couple of land grants, build some houses. Dang, we're done. <laughs> we're done. After that, get some vehicles, go into these highways and byways. Um, like one of my more recent posts. And it broke my heart, man. I went to the post office, two vets sleeping behind a U.S. Postal Service building, government building, you know, and it broke my heart. And I was like, we got to do better. We got to do better. So that's what we do every day, man, is we just we just we do it all for those who deserve way more than what we've given them. You know, so, yeah, that's our mission in a nutshell, if that's the nutshell. And sometimes it's just, you know, the little things of just, you know, a compliment or a conversation that helps, you know, yeah. anyone going through a tough time. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, what that's the that's the main thing. What would you want in that situation? But the, the sad thing is a lot of people can't really visualize that in their minds, what they would want, because they, they can't see themselves ever getting there. And I'm like, well, you just don't know. We live in a nation where 75% of people are one paycheck away from being in that situation. So right. let's be honest. What would you want? I would want somebody to come up to me and say, good morning. You know, I would want somebody to say, hey, did you eat today? You know, where did life drop the ball? Where did society drop the ball? Let's get you back on track. And for our veterans, even more so, right? Because let's be honest, when we took that oath, the first thing they said is what? Mom and dad's going to be so proud of you. Your nation's proud of you. And you are going to build a legacy. Well, that's an investment. And, and I'll give you this. A lot of people say, well, you wrote a blank check to your country. Okay. I like that analogy of a check. Check. Let's think dollars. Okay. Dollars. What are dollars? Investment tools. I'm investing in my nation. On the back end of that, there should be an ROI, an expectation that when I come home, things should be lined up. For one, no more violence in our streets. No more divisive between politics and social class like there's so many things that go on and when even when i came out i was like you guys are still doing this politicians are still arguing and fighting over things that they don't even know about like what are, what are we showing the world if we're the greatest nation on this planet we have got to carry and set the bar high we got to look good you know and there are areas that we can correct right right now to help our legacy or we're going to be steamrolled right into a lot of turmoil we can be better where do you want to see the hall of fame in the next three to five years oh i know where to be man i know where to be for one we're actually going to do our brick and mortar facility uh 200 square foot facility uh, we're looking at two cities right now either here in the charlotte north carolina area or atlanta georgia um mainly there, there are main reasons for that there's there's a good crossroads between north south east west travel um tourism so we want to have the hall of fame built and or in the building process in three years because it's literally a two and a half year build to build the facility right. um and then dod has to checkpoint us at certain points for like static vehicles and things of that nature but but three years will be there also within three years potentially this year we will have the very first full-scale veterans village built from the ground up so if you're looking at the Veterans Village of San Diego, which I love, man, you, you can't beat that facility. Um, they took a lot of old buildings and they refurbished them and they are beautiful and immaculate. But they live in a state where you've got about 10,000 homeless vets right now. They can't service them all. And I wish right. they could. 
But what we need in more than one state, I think we need one in every state, is a village to bring about 100 to 200 beds in and go out and get these guys and girls and help them transition into the way of life that they dreamt of. So within 